Welcome to the One Broken Cog Podcast. Join John and Brian as they share small adjustments that lead to major impacts. One Broken Cog Podcast. Here I go again, just like David covered it on the 80s, just without the uh, Tony Katan on the roof of the car. So <laughs> we just broke the Canadian market, so I have to send love and appreciation to the One Broken Cog Canucks flying the flag loud and proud. We also just received our first listeners in the Virgin Islands, which is pretty surprising. I hope to take a vacation out there to visit some of you when this pandemic is over. Speaking of the pandemic, man, many businesses have gone belly up due to economic reasons, but also being due to stretch so thin financially. But so many business owners have learned about themselves and if they're actually able to lead. You know, many of them are CEOs, they're creators, they're doers, but they're really lacking in the leadership department for many reasons. And that leads me to my guest today. He'll be discussing issues of leadership during COVID, as well as you know, a little bit of emotional intelligence, hiring great people in succession planning. And who I'm referring to is none other than Beth Armconnect Miller. Now, to give you some background on Beth, she is the CEO of Executive Velocity, a top talent and leadership development advisory firm. Beth is also a trusted executive consultant. She's a Vistage Chair Emeritus and committed volunteer. She's a certified in Myers-Briggs, which I believe in, a Hogan in Business DNA, and she's a certified managerial coach by Kennesaw University. Now, Beth's insight and expertise have made her a sought-after speaker on hiring, leadership development, and succession planning. Her book, Are You Talent Obsessed?, was published in 2014, one of my favorite years, and is available on Amazon. Definitely go out and pick that up. She is a frequent contributor to Entrepreneur Online, About.com, and Talent Culture, to name a few. She also graduated at Babson College and Harvard Business School's OPM program. Beth, it's great to have you on the show. Welcome to the One Broken Cog podcast. Well, thank you, Brian. I've been looking forward to this conversation today. Yeah, same here, same here. You know, I'd love to just kick it off by, you know, getting a little bit of background on executive velocity and what really differentiates you guys from other companies in the space. Well, uh, first of all, executive velocity is really focused on helping companies build their leadership pipeline. And uh, we do that specifically for small to mid-sized companies. So you won't find us in, in the IBMs of the world. Uh, we work with, with companies that generally have 30 employees, upwards of 500 employees, and um, they're, they're going through change and growth, and they want to make sure that um, the people that they have on board are prepared for the future, specifically those leaders and those emerging leaders. So I've been doing this since um, 2006, and um, the work I do is around uh, coaching and training existing leaders as well as high potentials, those, those um, folks that are getting prepared to become a leader. And I also help in the area of succession planning. Um, that doesn't mean just the business owner or CEO. It means an organizational succession plan. So understanding those key positions that um, need to have successors ready um, at a moment's notice. It's great. It's great. What are some signs, some early signs of emerging leaders? Maybe there's some things that you look out for or, you know, right away. Yeah. So that's one of the things that um, I'm actually writing a book right now on success, succession planning for small businesses. And one of the chapters is all about 
um, identifying potential. How do you go about, on a, in a systematic way, identifying potential? And most small business owners, they kind of, they'll, they'll say to me, well, I know it when I see it. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, what do you see? What are those behaviors and um, aptitudes that you see? And for the most part, it's um, one that they, those individuals are um, always looking to learn and grow. They're, they are um, self-reliant and um, they have a high level of emotional intelligence. So they, they can create relationships, um, not just within their department, but across, across departments um, organizationally. They, um, they're often adept at change and managing change. That's really important uh, in today's world. Uh, but what we do is we have a, a conversation with the executive team to really define what potential looks like for them. So we often will start with somebody that they, they believe has potential and, and then start describing what is it about that person that they believe um, is potential. Oftentimes though, um, they get confused between performance and potential. High performers not often will be high potentials. In fact, only one out of seven high performers have the, um, the behaviors that would lead to, um, to high potential. So I have that conversation with them often of, hey, yeah, this person's really great at what they're doing today, but what you want them to do tomorrow requires a different skill set and a different set of behaviors. And can that be taught or is that just something that's baked in that you must have in your DNA uh, and your personality profile? No, it can be taught. There's a, especially like emotional intelligence. That's um, it's something that you can learn. Unlike um, IQ, EQ is, is something that once you become aware of, of the areas that you need to work on, you can improve those. And that's oftentimes done through coaching. Beautiful. So what happens when you're, you're meeting with these groups and they've identified somebody they believe is, a, is an emerging leader and you, you don't think so, they're a top performer, What's, what are they missing that's not allowing them to get into that leadership role in your view? Uh, well, one of the, one of the um, situations I run into a lot is that subject matter expert, a person that's really good in their craft, but yet they may not even want to take on a leadership role because it's going to pull them away from their craft that um, being able to stay up to date with, um, let's say it's a um, tax attorney or something, you, you know, that person really wants to, to stay relevant in their expertise and being a leader will pull them away from that. So the first, the first step is actually having a, a, a career conversation with the individual. Um, there, there are some that are not, um, not aspiring to be a, a leader. They would much prefer to stay on a track with, where they become uh, you know, a senior expert or you know, a, a director um, of, of 
some sort of expertise. So there, that's a situation where you would want to find projects that would stretch them and, and grow their capacity. Um, on the flip side, those, those people that have potential um, usually have, have demonstrated a number of, of qualities already. And one is that, you know, be, the willingness to change, um, the willingness to, to learn new things and take on challenges that might be outside of their comfort zone, but they're, they're, um, they're not, they're, they're risk tolerant to do that. There are others that, um, don't want, you know, unless they really understand how to do something, how to, um, how to deliver a project, they're not going to take that on unless it's really clear to them. So that being able to work with um, ambiguity is really important as well. Yeah, extremely important. I see a lot of business owners dropping the ball when it comes to plugging in uh, the talent where their passion lies, you know, really harnessing that person's passion and what they want to do. So you're right. Sometimes they have the skills to do it, but it's not really what they want. It's kind of like a parent where it's like, Hey, I want you to become, you know, join the family business or I want you to be a basketball player or live vicariously through them. When in reality, they want something completely different. It's just not who they are. Exactly. So yeah, that's a very good point. What do you think is more important attitude or aptitude? Attitude. That's an easy one. You can, you can teach skills, but but getting somebody to change their attitude is a lot harder. Much it really harder. is. Yeah. No, so, it is. I mean, and that's, and that's one of the things, um, one of the other areas that, that I work with uh, clients on is, is their hiring practices and um, really getting them to understand what are those, those core competencies that will match the, their values in the organization what are the behaviors that support those values and then create behavioral interview questions so that when you bring people on in the organization, they're, they are a good cultural fit because that's, that's usually the problem. You know, you can, you can easily interview for skills, but it's understanding how somebody's going to behave in certain situations that um, are either going to make or break their their success. Yeah, you know, a lot of these hiring managers, HR people, it's the same old, same old. You know, they're resting on their laurels. They use the same questions. It's skill questions. It's background or experience questions. There's never questions about mindset or resolve or anything like that. You know, no creativity. And they wonder why their churn keeps happening the way it is. You know, if you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. And it keeps happening over and over again. So I definitely want to circle back to Myers-Briggs and hiring practices in a moment. But real fast, as far as COVID goes, we talked to people in the program as far as hiring during COVID uh, and, you know, and how to stand out and get hired during COVID. We talked about how to manage your stress returning to work in the office. But we really haven't talked about leadership. And I think a lot of leaders have dropped the ball. You know, COVID has really separated the wannabes from the genuine article and showed us who the real leaders are. What do you think is the biggest area where leaders or business owners have dropped the ball during COVID? Um, well, I think the, the, I always like to look at the, the people that have, have, have really done well through COVID. And those individuals, what they have done is, is they have shifted their focus from results to relationships. They have really understood 
um, the issues around their employees' well-being. Because if you've got employees that are at home that are anxious and concerned, their productivity is going to drop. But if you've but if those employees have somebody, um, a leader who is leading and caring about them, they're going to go that extra mile. So that's a, the one thing I have seen as a, a shift um, from a leadership perspective with many of my clients is instead of getting on a Zoom meeting and immediately asking about, you know, what what has happened from a results standpoint that week, they spend some time building rapport and understanding where each individual is that, that moment. Because you got, you know, you've got moms that are home trying to, trying to teach their kids. You got um, single people that uh, might feel very lonely if, you know, if they're still in, um, in lock, you know, lockup. Um, there's all different personal situations. So the leaders that are doing well have understood that and have led with relationships first. The other thing they've done is um, they've really stepped up their communications. They, you know, it might be that they were meeting um, once a week and now um, they're meeting, you know, two and three times a week. And they've, They've also understood that, you know, there's that Zoom fatigue. Right. And, and they have encouraged their teams um, to basically embrace the phone <laughs> versus video and text. So the, the whole idea is that if you're not with people, you can't just walk down the hall and stick your head in, in a, a door and ask somebody a question. Um, but you can pick up the phone. And uh, there were a number of people that have created kind of this norm within their, their teams that if there is a, a phone call coming from a team member and you can take it, you should take it. And if you can't, you need to, to respond uh, quickly. And it will eliminate a lot of those back and forth um, emails and texts. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot to be said about uh, verbal communication versus written communication and the nuances around that. And it, it leads to a more effective and productive communication. Definitely. No, I agree. It was funny. There was an article that went viral on LinkedIn and it was about somebody saying that, during COVID or recently, their boss had said, hey, we're going to live on Zoom. So everybody that's working from home, they're all going to be on a Zoom channel live to emulate like an office experience. And he was trying to sell it that way. But it really came across the employees that you're just trying to micromanage us. So it was a complete right, disconnect. Exactly. Yeah, it just didn't work. So that's very not a good tactic whatsoever. Like, okay, somebody's watching me constantly. <laughs> Right. You know, his perspective was, well, you know, it's like we're there in the office next to each other and you can talk and look and whatever. And it just, it just didn't go over well. Not, not good whatsoever. The, uh, it's funny, you look at certain business owners and, you know, some of them really lack grit and determination, but they make up for it with empathy for their team. I think you really need a combination. You know, you have to be able to 
in regards to mindset, the growth versus fixed, you know, that growth mindset is like you mentioned, I'm thirsting for knowledge. I really want to go learn new things. I am, when adversity happens, I'm ready to take it on. I'm going to bite down to the mouthpiece and come out and get ready for battle. And the other people is, hey, I'm just, when the pressure mounts, I'm just going to wither up and crawl up in a ball and just, you know, hope for the best. And, right. you know, you have to lead by example. And this is really separating the two people. And I think that's why our businesses are booming because, there's a lot of decisions being put off because there's so much information out there and they don't know how to discern which information is correct and what's, what to do, what not to do, what's the best strategy moving forward because everybody's trying to figure it out real time. So there's a lot of right. lack of action and decision making and it's really hurting businesses. Mm -hmm. It's really not good. And I think that's why, you know, with, with us, we're kind of from the outside looking in, that's our core competency. We're able to really come in there and provide that great guidance people need. Now that brings me to my next point. So I'd love to talk to you about Myers-Briggs. And the reason I want to talk to you about it, I was really tickled when I saw and really, really happy when I saw the fact that you're an expert in this area because I'm kind of new to it. I'm kind of late to the game. I think about six months ago, I took a Myers-Briggs, you know, the whole test and it was enlightening. I came back as an ENJF, which is an assertive protagonist. And in reading about it, it was amazing. I mean, apparently I'm 2% of the population make up this personality type and I'm a natural born leader and, and all those things. So it kind of uh, really solidified what I always thought about myself. And of course, the results that I've been able to produce. But uh, give me your thoughts on Myers-Briggs, like your background, and then we'll talk about the necessity to kind of integrate that into the hiring process itself. Yeah. So, um, uh, first of all, um, I am certified in Myers-Briggs, but actually, um, using it in the last three or four years, I have not been using it. I've actually moved to business DNA and I'll, I will tell you why. Okay. Um, Myers-Briggs is great for like teams and, um, you know, development efforts. It is not validated for hiring purposes. And I was looking for a tool that I could use with clients that was cradle to grave, that they could use in the hiring process as well as development and team building. So I shifted to business DNA. And one of the other things um, that is different about Myers-Briggs compared to a lot of the other assessments is that you said you're an ENTJ? No, ENJF, I believe it's a ENJF, that's right, yeah. ENJF. Um, yeah, so and I'm an ENTP. But uh, if, if somebody hasn't been through Myers-Briggs training, they wouldn't know what the heck we were talking about. But a lot of the other assessments are more descriptive. So for instance, I am an influencer as it relates to business DNA. And there are initiators and strategists and reflective thinkers. It's a lot more descriptive about the person. And it, it creates a, a language that um, once, once you take the assessment, but even if you haven't taken the assessment, you can understand who that person is from a high level perspective. So those, those are the two reasons that I have, uh, have moved is the, the, the fact that it's not uh, validated and then the, the language around it. But for, for purposes of Myers-Briggs, 
it is a, a good tool for um, development purposes as well as, as team building. That's great. That's great. So yeah. the question is, anything, you know, whether it be business DNA, Myers-Briggs, you know, to me it's apples mm -hmm. and, and oranges. It's yeah. kind of the same purpose, right? We're finding mm -hmm. out who we are, our essence. And you know, it's yeah. kind of like the building blocks foundation for how we approach situations and how we think and how we act. How important is this when it comes to the hiring process? So it, it, it is important from a standpoint of if, if you understand um, the behaviors that are going to be important for a specific position to be successful, then you can put profiles together that would, would help um, from a standpoint of matching an applicant to that, that job profile. So for instance, in business DNA, uh, there's there's one factor where um, you're either um, spontaneous or planned. Those are kind of the exact opposites, right? Well, if you're hiring um, a um, finance person, well, you're going to want somebody planned that because um, those things are like being accurate and scheduled. You don't want somebody that's spontaneous. Another one is. Um, the, the factor around um, creativity and do you really want an accountant who's super creative? Probably not. But if you were, look, right, but if you were looking for um, a designer, um, graphic designer or something, well, yeah, that's going to be important. So you can, you can put profiles together and then when you have applicants coming through the process, you can take a look to see how close they fit to that profile. And then, then you have gaps where you can create some questions to ask the applicant because what's being measured is, is your natural talents. It's not measuring how you adjust based on experience. And, and we all, depending on how old we are, um, some of us have more experience than others, but you want to understand how somebody who is, is spontaneous has adapted to being planned. You know, what kind of experiences have they had um, in the past that um, would lead, lead you to believe that they can make that adjustment? Now, the stronger that preference is, the harder it's going to be for somebody to make that shift and probably would only be able to make that shift in, in short bursts of time. They're not going to be able to, to do it um, on an ongoing basis. Example for me, I am not planned. I am spontaneous. And I actually started my career in finance and I was miserable. And, and it was because it wasn't playing to my strengths. Right. Right. And, um, you know, if I had taken the assessment before I went to college, it was, <laughs> the world would have been a different place for me for the first five years of my life. <laughs> my no, career life. It's a very yeah. important. I was, I was looking at a list of just at that Myers-Briggs. I'll, I'll definitely check out to Business DNA. But it was talking about, you know, where you would be good at, you know, jobs you would thrive in, jobs you would not. Right. And one of the jobs was sales manager. And, of course, I have been one. And I 
loved it and I did very well at it. And then I was talking about, you know, you wouldn't be good here. And then I agree with that. Just like you said, you were in finance and it just wasn't a fit. So these tests are very accurate. And I know I think they're very valuable when it, when it comes to hiring. Now question here, we have that box tick. Now what about a culture fit? You know, we used to talk about culture. We've talked about it many times in the past here. What does that mean to you as far as a culture fit and where does it rank in regards to the personality assessment, experience, attitude, aptitude? Yeah. Um, you know, really, those um, personality assessments don't play a lot into culture fit. Uh, unless, unless you assume that your values are your culture. But that's not often the case. There's a lot of uh, stuff that, that goes on in the background that's over and above the, the values um, that a, a company is, has, um, is living by. So, you know, you can use those, those assessments to match uh, the values if you understand what behaviors are supporting your values. So you, you start with values, then you then you um, define what are those behaviors that would show you that somebody was um, living that value. And those behaviors you can actually get through, through um, an assessment. Yeah, I guess it, it comes down to how you define culture. I mean, some people look at it as, right. you know, let's say as a, a millennial coming from a tech startup where, you know, you work from home every Friday, you have catered lunches, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you have massages, you know, you can wear shorts, bring your dog to work, and then you migrate to a financial company where you're wearing you know, business professional attire, it's, you know, you're tied to your desk. I mean, can that person adapt? Is that looked at as a culture? And then if you look at that person and say, gee, their business DNA profile is perfect, uh, their Myers-Briggs perfect, whatever you want to look at, and they're great, but will they be a culture fit, right? That's very interesting. Right. Yeah. And, and that, um, that comes down to having some really good questions in the interview that would um, get you to understand whether or not that person would would fit well into into the environment. Um, I was I was uh, privy to um, sitting in on a a panel interview. This was uh, many years ago. It was a rapidly growing high tech firm here in Atlanta, and one of the questions that they asked the candidate was, "What's your favorite swear word, <laughs> and how do you like to use it?" So, you know, I, I just sat there, listened, and afterwards, was walking down the hall with, with the CEO, and I turned to him, and I was like, so what was that about? <laughs> and he's like, Beth, we have a lot of swearing going on in this company, and we want to make sure that whoever comes to work for us is comfortable with that kind of environment. And that question actually said there were, there were several people that self-selected out of the, the interview process because they weren't comfortable with it. And I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, saved a lot of time for them and the right. company, I guess, right? Exactly, yeah. It's just so interesting. You, I, look, I, think, I think 
you know, a culture fit and this personality assessment go hand in hand. And the reason I say that is because even if you have somebody who's not a quote unquote culture fit, if they are the right person, you know, they have the right aptitude, attitude, experience, the, the personality type, winning creates a better culture organically. That's how I see it. You know, when you join a company and you're hitting your goals, everybody's firing on all cylinders. Everybody has a quota or a company quota attached to an end game result to where they all benefit from winning and synergizing and all coming together and working together and aligning. You make more money, you win, people are happier, the culture just gets better organically, right? But there's certain building blocks you can put into place to jumpstart that and attract better people and make it just a much better place mm-hmm. to be and reduce the churn and things like that. That's how I see it. And, mm-hmm. you know, until somebody can prove me wrong, I'm gonna, not going to believe anything other than that. But um, <laughs> let me ask you this question. What do you think the biggest weakness is in leaders today and in hiring process today? It's kind of like a two-part question. Oh, gosh. Um, no wrong well, answers, right? Just from, from your experience. Yeah. From, I think from, the, from a hiring process perspective, and remember, I work with a lot of small to mid-sized companies. And one of the things that I find in the hiring process is a lack of consistency. There's, there are... Um, managers who they all have different different modes of of interviewing and it because of that you can't measure two or three applicants on an apples to apples basis because the interviews are so different so one of the things i i work with with clients on is getting a consistent process in place you know, consistent questions that are asked of all applicants as it relates to company values. Clearly, you know, when you get into the, the skills questions, they're going to be different, but, but those, those behaviors that are going to support, support your values, they need to be consistent questions. Um, the other is bias. We all have bias. And how do you um, figure out how to minimize that bias. Well, one of them is to have the, the same questions asked. And, and the other is to integrate an, an assessment tool. And, and that will, will help take, take bias or minimize bias. I mean, you're never going to be able to fully um, eliminate it. But the, the idea is to, to dec- decrease it as, as much as possible. And the, the, the final one is um, onboarding. A lot of companies wait until somebody gets there the first day to start the onboarding process. And it should start the minute the applicant um, has accepted the position. Because that could be, you know, it could be two or three weeks before that person starts. And you want them to start feeling like part of the company the minute they say yes. What do you think about the bake-off method? Meaning that these people are really torn. They're not sure what they're looking for. So they say, look, we're going to hire six people in a 90-day probation period. We're only going to keep two. And Mm -hmm. that way we know we're getting the best of the best. The people know they're competing for their job. So it's going to be, we're going to get the best out of them. What do you think about that? Well, I think there's, there are pros and cons to that. You know, one is if, if I'm one of the six people and I know that there's only going to be two positions in, in 90 days. If you've got a bunch of really competitive 
people, that could get ugly. <laughs> I mean, you, you may not want to be creating that kind of environment. Um, and it really, you know, depends on the leadership and how you are, are organizing that, that bake-off. Um, the other is, you know, that's, that's 90 days where you're carrying six salaries versus two. You know, is, is it because you're not confident in your hiring process? That would be my question. Yeah, it could be. It could be their culture, right? They're just a very competitive place and they have very lofty expectations. Who knows? I guess it really depends on the the company. There's really no one size fits all. Everything right. has to be really analyzed and looked at. Uh, let me. Here's another question. What is the biggest disaster you've ever seen in terms of working for a company? I know there's confidentiality. You're not going to have to name names. But right. as far as the situation itself, what was the biggest mess that you've ever seen or, or walked into from a client perspective? Hmm. Oh gosh, there's a lot of them. <laughs> Where do I start? Um, you know, uh, I, I think back um, several years ago, there was a, a company that had grown by acquisition. Um, and consequently, as they acquired, they brought on these, these new partners. It wasn't, kind of, it wasn't the traditional, you know, private equity kind of thing. It was um, the, the owner founder would, would find a company that um, would allow them to, you know, pick on, pick up a, a new uh, product line. And what happened was, is all of a sudden they had a group of, of five partners and two of them shouldn't have been partners. And Consequently, because of the ownership aspect, they couldn't, I mean, they couldn't fire these people. They had to figure out, the, the remainder of, um, of the partners had to figure out how to, um, to minimize um, the negative effects of these, these two individuals. And it really slowed their, their growth down. Um, and that that's one where it, it was a, a, a structural issue um, that, that forced them to have to do that. Um, but what it, what it further did was those, those two partners uh, was there was a, a lot of turnover in that, that division um, that they had to, to really build back that organization, that division. Yeah, I have a similar experience myself. When partners are not aligned, when business owners are not aligned and they both have equal power and equal say, it's a disaster. I mean, that, that's a tough one to navigate. Trust yeah. me, very, very tough. What about your biggest uh, win as far as your career? You know, your biggest, maybe your biggest aha moment or, or what you're most proud of as far as, you know, helping a business or a professional? You know, I, I think there's, there's a number of them. Um, in general, it's, working with those um, high potentials that are moving up in the organization that, you know, have, have some gaps that they, they need to fill and then watching them take on um, new, new roles at, at higher levels. I, I think about this one woman um, up in the Philadelphia area who, um, I started working with about four years ago and um, off and on 
and um, she's she's now uh, reporting to the CEO. And at the time, um, she had some significant derailers that um, if she if she wasn't able to get over, um, she would have been stuck where she was. So um, those those are the the engagements where um, I get a lot of energy because I I see the growth, I you know I see the potential, and the and these individuals work hard to to get past um, those derailers, and um, it's uh, that's what brings me joy. Definitely, it's the ultimate payoff. It's why we do what we do, right? Yeah. Now, last topic, I want to bring up emotional intelligence because not a lot of people know about the importance of this, how to identify it and how it relates to hiring or even leadership. Maybe you want to talk a little bit high level about emotional intelligence. Yeah. So, um, yeah, emotional intelligence is, you you hear about soft skills. Well, um, emotional intelligence is is really at the heart of those, those soft skills. It's understanding yourself your, your strengths and weaknesses. It, it's um, understanding your own emotions and what triggers you and um, managing your emotions. And then it's about relationships and understanding how you can um, build your relationships through empathy and um, understanding, watching uh, people's cues, being able to read them um, and, and ultimately be able to get them um, to be as successful as they can be. So it's, um, it is critical to leadership success. The, the leaders that are, are highly successful have high levels of emotional intelligence. Definitely, definitely. Now, if you look at those uh, in buckets, like you look at each bucket of emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. and you have self-awareness, you know, sociability and economic awareness, relationship management capabilities, and then developing human potential and performance. What do you think is the most important or do they all have to have an equal share? Well, I think, I think it starts with, with you being self-aware. If, if you, and I've only had, had this happen a couple of times um, where I am going through an assessment debriefing with somebody and they just don't see it. They don't, they, they don't see the, the results. They, they start getting defensive and, um, and they don't see what the assessment is telling them. Um, that's a huge red flag t- for me because if they're not self-aware to, a, to a, some extent, then they're not going to have the energy to, to make changes. So that, that to me is, is the starting point, is, is that self, um, self-awareness. Perfect. Now, what, last question here. Um, what do you think is missing most as far as leaders that you have met with of these buckets? Which one has been missing? Oh, um, I think it depends on the, the level of, of the individual in the organization. So um, a a lot of those individuals that are, you know, the high potentials that are, are coming up in the organization, oftentimes it's around um, that self-management and understanding your triggers and how to manage those triggers and um, making sure that they're, those, those stressors are not 
negatively impacting relationships um, that are important to you and your success in the organization. Uh, I think as it, as it relates to the um, higher level individuals, it's around um, those relationships, building relationships across um, departments and, and organizations and in managing relationships at different levels, being yes. able to manage up and down and across. I agree 100%. You know, they have a stat that came out, 75% of, of sales managers admit they don't know how to communicate properly. So that makes total sense that they wouldn't be able to have relationships because they don't know how to communicate. So, and that comes down right. to plugging somebody in the wrong place. It just is a domino effect. It all, you have to right. peel the onion back to figure out why this is. And I think we've, we've really hit on that. So last, very last mm -hmm. question. It's just a personal question so we can get to know you a little bit better. You're on an island. I mentioned earlier in the podcast, the Virgin Islands. I'd love to go there at some point, but you're on an island for the rest of your life. You can only bring one book, one movie, and one album. What would mm -hmm. those, those things be? Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, the one book. Well, if, if I'm going to be there for a long time, then it needs to be a big book. Um, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. Um, I know uh, the Steve Jobs biography. That's okay. a big book. Yeah. There that would go. keep me, that would keep me reading for a long time. And what was the next one? Uh, it would be movie. Movie. Ooh. You know, I love all the Born Identity movies. Okay, so maybe a box yeah. set of all of them, huh? Yeah, box set of those, yeah. I and then last them. is the album. Yeah, so uh, you know what? I'm not a big music person. <laughs> wow. Um, and I'll probably date myself because, you know, I'd, I'd go back to like um, – I don't know, like rumors. Um, oh yeah, Fleetwood Mac. Or, yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, what? I mean, seventies came out with the best rock music, bar none, in my opinion. <laughs> well, I've just kind of alerted the the listeners to my age. <laughs> hey, no worries. You're in good company. So, in any last, you know, before we wrap up, any last words of wisdom, advice. Uh, anything you want to share with the audience before we wrap up? Um, one of the things I always like to to share with um, my clients and listeners is that um, curiosity builds relationships, and judgment tears them tears them down. That's a so good one. It's really about asking questions and getting curious um, about others, and not judging others i love it i couldn't have said it better myself you know I, my wife laughs i have a, a lawyer a long time ago and i called the lawyer i said hey i have a question he said you wouldn't be brian olson if you didn't have a question she reminds <laughs> me of that to this day so <laughs> fantastic Good. well beth it's been wonderful how can people get a hold of you i know the book is on amazon um anything you'd like to share as far as contact info or yeah, anything Right. So my website is executive-velocity.com. I have a lot of free uh, downloadable resources on that website. And then um, and they can contact me through that website as well. Or um, LinkedIn, um, Beth Arm Connect Miller is, um, is the only Beth Arm Connect Miller on LinkedIn. There you go. You've got that, that uh, leg covered. <laughs> You're the only one.
Exactly. Awesome. Well, Beth, it's been a pleasure. Have a wonderful rest of the day. And uh, yeah, looking forward to staying in touch. Well, thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you for spending time with us today. We encourage you to join the many businesses that we have helped to achieve their objectives, align their departments, and increase their revenue. You can start by reaching out to us at results at onebrokencog.com. Together, we will make small adjustments that will lead to major impacts to your business, your culture, and your bottom line.